0: It's uh, really rather touching, you know, all the television exposure of these old films has made celebrities of Hollywood's relics like me. again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the i podcast, the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And if you're new to the podcast, I make him watch movies, television shows, sometimes read books, listen to record albums, things from my youth. And then I find out what he thinks of them. And this week, I've made him watch a TV show.
1: Ah, uh, we're back into the swing of things. After the themed holiday season ends and we start rolling into the general content, this one actually we had a continuation. We've got a an actor keeping on going, but there was something about getting back to the TV shows you you mentioned it was
0: nice. And this is a TV show that it, it was. I wanted to do this TV show in its own right, but it's also it represents a whole group of TV shows, a whole class of TV shows. Okay. And this is a series that began in, in 1972. Oh. Tonight's episode, The Streets of San Francisco, starring Carl Malden, also starring Michael Douglas. Yay! And I say that this represents a bigger class of TV shows, because this was a, a pretty impressive show in its own right, and I... I can't say that I watched a lot of it when it was first on. I mean, it started when I was about six years old, but my parents watched it a lot. I occasionally watched it when I could get away with it. Okay. But this is also the first TV series that we've talked about on the podcast. I believe it's the first that is a Quinn Martin production.
1: <sighs> that name I knew of
0: Quinn for more Martin, than one reason. He was just absolutely uh, stellar as a, a TV producer and show creator, from 1959 through 1980, Quinn Martin had at least one television series running in primetime.
1: Oh, my non-stop. word. Nonstop. That is that, long. That is a heck of a career. And there's a style to this sort of thing. I mean, it's a police procedural. And there's all sorts of stuff connected to that and all sorts of tropes and aspects that are going to come with one of those. But just the the way this is shot, the way it frames a world and an environment, the way it presents its drama is a specific kind of thing. I think that Quinn Martin Productions
0: in general, and this show is a good example of it, it takes the fact that these are built upon a formula and that they have a very specific structure, but it, it leans into that and makes that a strength makes that something that keeps the show going, keeps the momentum going. And it works with that formula in ways that keeps it from getting boring. Part of that is casting. Part of that is amazing writing. And when you think about it, you know, lots of good drama follows a certain structure. And, and it's, it's what stories you tell within that structure that make the difference.
1: One of our, our most well-known episodes on this podcast is when we watched all of Columbo. Colombo started six years before this, And the shots on Columbo at least early on, a lot more things were filmed at head, shoulder height. in a staged room, there was something a little bit m- like just the way the camera was moving to set up a space and such was different. In the Quinn Martin productions. The camera is at an angle to the room. It'll be lower. It'll be higher. It'll be tilted. I mean, the entire logo is at an angle. It, it's it's using the cinematography to make this dramatic, dynamic San Francisco to populate these stories in.
0: And one thing I, I haven't had a chance to look into, but I'd like to, is the role of that that any kind of new technology played in this series in particular, and maybe other series at the time. Because you're right. It's an extremely dynamic way that this is shot, not only with interesting angles and interesting choices on camera position, but also moving cameras. Mm -hmm. What appear to be possibly handheld cameras or cameras with very well-planned twisting and flipping motions during transitions or scenes where they want to convey a very particular kind of emotion or movement. It's not, let's set up a shot or even a, a multi-camera setup. It's very cinematic and very very forward thinking in terms of the way it's cinematic. It's not just, oh, this TV show looks like a movie. This TV show looks like something that's partly TV show, partly movie, and partly something that is completely new.
1: I'm this is one of those I had a crazy idea and thought. And now I get to put it in everyone else's head, you're and all the <laughs> listeners. So I'm giving that heads up right now. But internet meme, anime and animation loving me, saw this, saw this Quinn Martin styling. And I literally thought, wow, if Quinn Martin didn't set a baseline for what 4 was for episodic, dramatic visualization... JoJo's Bizarre Adventure wouldn't have had something to turn to 11. And that was just wild to me, because crazy angles zoom in on faces, it's setting a style for episodic drama that I saw in animation copying elsewhere.
0: And now I'm thinking of some certain anime from maybe 10 years after this, like maybe 15, late 80s anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like you know, Riding Bean, or, or You're Under Arrest, which I think was from that. Oh, yeah. Area from that era. I would not be shocked at all to learn that the people who created those had watched the streets of San Francisco
1: 10 years earlier. Oh, absolutely. There's just, there's something about the way these things, it, it makes a world that feels bigger. And it makes these these small moments of investigation even more dramatic.
0: So let's talk then about the setup and about the stories. Because this is, it's a 70s TV show. We have to have very relatable and recognizable characters, and those characters don't change a great deal over the course of the show.
1: No. Yeah.
0: It is a show. It's a pre-VCR show, pre-DVR show. There was no ability to assume everybody had seen every episode. There's no there's no drive towards big ongoing story arcs the way you get in the uh, the early 80s. So here we have... Two San Francisco police detectives, Mike Stone, who is the police uh, lieutenant played by Carl Malden, and Steve Keller, played by michael douglas I,
1: I do appreciate that the uh the much more steady and established officer who you know knows the ways things were done, his last name is stone. <laughs> There's a little bit of there's a little bit of the name fits the character in that sense.
0: Very very much. You you hear these characters' names, you see them for a second, you know what archetypes they're playing. And that works fine. It's part of this structure. And this by the way was um was based on a novel. Oh, okay. The pilot that we watched, which kind of surprised me. I had never seen the pilot. That was a longish TV movie. Oh, yeah. And it didn't follow the Quinn Martin tv series structure but that was based on the novel poor poor ophelia by carolyn weston and that's where the setup i believe that's where the characters and the character names came from but then they they converted that into the ongoing police procedural that we see for the rest of the series and if i'm telling you that what these character names are and who plays them? You can probably figure out something about the characters themselves. Mike Stone has been a detective for decades. He's been on the police force at least 30 years. And he apparently does not have a college degree. But he is experienced. And he's very smart. And Steve Keller, played by young Michael Douglas has a college degree in criminology. He became a detective two years earlier, and there's a little bit of ribbing about him being the the, the college boy, having all the fancy education, but he, he doesn't have the experience and street smarts that Stone has. He has a little more ability to relate to the younger element that they'll meet out on the streets of San Francisco. And remember, this is not, this is 1972. This began. Okay. This is not very long after 1968 when San Francisco was the, the iconic location of hippiedom in
1: American culture. Yeah. This, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of culture clash and a lot of different circles that you can have these characters moving through. Where one will be established because, oh, yeah, this place has this long history. Oh, yeah, people have worked here forever. I know the guy. And then you get the, oh, I w-, like, no, no, he's going to go there. Oh, why? Because you can you can move this there. or You can find someone who's selling this there. Oh, OK, because <laughs> that wasn't there maybe even a month ago, let alone years ago.
0: So it's an interesting blend. You get some of the sense of the old San Francisco, uh, uh, the setting of things like the Maltese Falcon from decades earlier, and you get a sense of the new San Francisco where some of the hippies stuck around and are starting to settle down and become part of the population of the city, and life moves on. It
1: is nice to see, especially after two movies of him being this suave, self-assured, kind of I've-done-it-before action guy, seeing Michael Douglas getting to be this kind of fresh-faced eager, but not always as knowledgeable of certain parts of it, the new guy on the force kind of thing. It's nice to see that because it's a very different thing, but he plays it well.
0: It is good to see that, and you're right. right, He does a good job of that, and he and Malden work well together because there is this difference in outlook, this difference in experience. There's the occasional bit of ribbing. A real smart cop, huh? College grad. Fancy degree in criminology. Well, let me tell you something. But they are partners, and they do have each other's back. And you can see Keller being interested in learning as much as he can from Stone. hmm And Stone being interested in teaching uh, Keller and recognizing that Keller has the ability to communicate with some people in the city better than Stone might be able to. Stone-
1: is wary of it, but he seemed to be like, okay. Once I understand that this is part of what this is, he caught on and he was going with the flow of stuff. Uh-huh. He wasn't st- sticking in fighting whatever this new thing was in it, right. and that's right. the important part. That shows that his his understanding of the job is above his per- any personal f- uncertain team he might have about how things are different, and that that's good for a character like this.
0: And I've gotta think there's a certain parallel there with Michael Douglas working with Carl Malden. Because Carl Malden, an experienced actor, had worked a great deal before this. Um, my understanding is he he took this series partly because of the opportunity it gave him to work with a lot of great guest stars. And Michael Douglas, a newer actor, getting a ch- I think it's it's gotta be a terrific education for an actor to work a TV series like this where they've gotta report show up to, to shoot, they have got to shoot fast and accurate and work with other actors, work with actors they've never met before in guest spots. And I think this probably did a great deal for Douglas's career, just in terms of training him about a lot of the details of being a working actor. And a lot of that, I bet he learned from working closely with Carl Malden.
1: Oh, Absolutely. And when you're saying the list of guest stars, the list of guest stars is insane on this show, if you pull it up.
0: That's something that Quinn Martin was good at, was hiring good actors to come in and play a featured role. And that lends,
1: that elevates the excitement of any given episode. And it actually lets those guest stars play a role. They got this really nice, big group of guest stars. And the really cool thing is that they're not using them for their names. They are... Making stories with parts that let these actors play those roles. Let these people actually flex their acting talents that made them stars. And it it never hits you over the head with, oh, look, it's this this person playing this character. It's just, there's this character. They are the grieving family member. They are the... Victim whose life was tangled up enough to have this happen to them, they are the murderer who's trying to get away with it. They get to play a role and actually be part of that world instead of being a cameo. And that's really kind of cool because there's a lot of these people who, in just the stuff we've seen on the podcast, if they showed up in other shows, I would have expected it to be very loud <laughs> as to who they were. And there were times I was just like, Wait a minute, is that the guy they mentioned in the beginning? We're halfway through the episode and I didn't recognize him. <laughs> and we get we get guest
0: stars. We get guest stars like um Joe Don Baker. Hey, if you're an MST three K fan, if you like Mitchell. Of course, we also had an appearance by Bill Bixby.
1: And that's right! Hello! And magically appearing inside of one podcast is another podcast! It's the Bixby Boys! The Bixby Boys are back! We know that sometimes this bit makes some of our audience angry, and we're sorry, we do not like it when you're angry, but we understand, you gotta understand, it's Bill Bixby! He's here again! <laughs> we gotta be excited anytime we see Bill Bixby.
0: Yeah, Bill Bixby playing a, uh, a an assassin in the... The, uh, this third season episode.
1: Bill Bixby playing a better version of uh, Agent 47 than was actually in the Hitman movie, which is just a wild sentence to say. But dang, he was just cold and quiet and went from thing to thing like he had a heads-up display. It's it's impressive.
0: We also, in the pilot, we've got Lawrence Dopkin playing Gregory Praxis. <sighs> Goodness. Who is a, an actor-turned, well, serial killer, but also some kind of cultist, I think. It's like, we're following this police procedural, then suddenly Robert Wagner is, who's the, the the lawyer everybody thinks is the bad guy throughout the episode is kidnapped and locked in this guy's basement. And it's suddenly Satan. He's got these statues and paintings. Did, did
1: someone stack the VHS tape that had the first episode of The Streets of San Francisco with the VHS tape that had that TV movie version of Doctor Strange we watched? Because it feels <laughs> like some of it leaked into the other.
0: It, it did. It did. But remember, also- this is back in the 70s. This is back when Satan was fun, like I've said. <laughs>
1: Oh goodness. But yeah, that uh, that that entire first like pilot episode is wild cuz it almost doesn't feel like the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, it was it was more of an action movie sort of feel, but also it I think it was darker than many of the episodes. This this show could
1: get dark. Well, yeah, but that was cuz they filmed a remarkable amount of scenes at night. <laughs> and honestly, there's so much more of the show that takes place during the day when there's people when they're investigating. In it's all nighttime warehouses in that pilot episode. Oh, <laughs> oh, you, that's not what you meant.
0: Oh, yes, I did.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's, okay. That's good. Good. I'm. I'm, I'm it on all track. comes together exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we, of course, did not watch all of the seasons of this. This ran for, I believe, it was six seasons, and we've got three seasons now on DVD, and we watched samplings from throughout these. And and they all have that classic Quinn Martin four-act-plus-epilogue structure. And they announce at the end of every break, at the beginning of every segment, what act they're starting, part of the Quinn Martin thing. And yet they do a lot of different things with these stories and that structure.
1: Yeah, there's episodes that are absolutely procedural investigations. There's episodes where it feels more like the structure of Columbo where we're following the the killer more and our, our, our investigators are popping up at various different times to thwart them and kind of, it's a how-catch-em in that sense. But there's episodes that just feel wild because they lean on the procedural and they lean on the police aspect. And for a TV show, when it is made and set and everything, there was heavy discussion about how these people are handling this, how the job should be ta- should be, you know, showing respect to the people and all of that. There there's a lot that they're putting in there, especially nowadays. Watching a procedural, an older procedural, can be awkward. I think because. There has been a lot of changes to the way the job is even done, let alone the way it's perceived or anything else in, the, in society. Just the the methods and procedures have updated and changed with cameras and such being more prevalent and everything else. And it feels like this show is already assessing things then. <laughs> so the fact that things are assessed now more, it it was weirdly coherent in that sense because it didn't... It had our characters be protagonists and, in the end, stop a bad guy, but they never felt like they were being depicted as heroes. They felt like they were being depicted as people serious about doing a job, and that's a difference.
0: And it is important to remember, I mentioned the timing of this, it's 1972, it's not long after the late 60s. And it's it's not long after periods of time when police and large numbers of the citizenry were not necessarily on the same side on every issue and every encounter. And you're right. This show took that seriously and investigated that or, or in, interrogated that. It, it, it had to portray our protagonists as protagonists and we needed to identify them, want them to succeed, etc. But you're right. They... they Thought and talked about what this job entails, how important it is to do it right, when it's difficult to do it right. There were some interesting episodes where there was a personal involvement on the part of one of the investigators that made it hard to do it right. And, And
1: in those episodes, our protagonists get called out for not following procedure when you're being investigated. And where your partner sees you in the area where this is being reviewed, he chews you out for it and says, go home. Because you're messing all of this up. And I'm not even talking about for you. You're messing this up. <laughs> Take this seriously. It's the job we've all got. Go home. Yeah. That's a different approach. And that is not letting a protagonist get away with protagonizing. Proca- <laughs> meh. Protagonisting so hard that they become a hero character the way a lot of other shows let characters do.:
0: I like that verb protagonisting
1: yeah it's hard to protagonist. It is hard to say, but there's <laughs> something narratively about when character just gets to do a thing. I like it
0: and yeah, it, we, they show Mike Stone being very smart in a number of different ways. He is smart about you know, getting the job done, but he's also smart about the politics that are involved, and he ha- has had to be to to become a, a lieutenant in the, the detective squad. And, but they also show him as just being extremely intelligent. Over the course just of the episodes that we have seen, we have seen that in addition to, of course, being a native speaker of English, he has at least a conversational working knowledge of Spanish, Russian, and Chinese. And I have no reason to believe it ends there. That's just what we happened to have seen. Oh, yeah. And that is part of the f- showing that he's smart, that he is quick to learn things, but also that being able to communicate with the people in the city is so important. And it gets to highlight the fact that San Francisco is an international city with a very cosmopolitan population. And just as the show is very proud of the fact that it was shot entirely on location in San Francisco, it's kind of a booster for how interesting and dynamic San Francisco is.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... There's shots in this show that I think the San Francisco tourism board could still use because it is, it is so much about this city and about how diverse it is. And episodes take place in, I mentioned it before, they take place in different circles and places here. And Stone's always able to interact in them to some extent. And the ones he's not, he's kind of. Seems like a a smart guy interested in learning, which implies that's how he got all of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, the places where he's just in his element, talking with someone, switching languages when they start changing something, or, like, it implies that was a new place and he learned to do that the (laughs) same way you see him figuring out new places in other episodes.
0: Which is why it's interesting to see Keller, his, his mentee, Grow impatient with Stone occasionally, but still be smart enough to pay attention and learn.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, he also grows impatient with Stone because Stone repeatedly... The start of an episode is Stone gets the call first about the thing we just witnessed as the audience. And he arrives just in time to thwart Keller's attempts at getting a date and tell him there's work to do. (laughs) This happens multiple times in in a... assortment of episodes across three seasons we watched <laughs> enough that i'm like this has to happen a lot and we talked
0: a little bit about the technology of of the filming of of how this was made and the way that they used the, the cameras available it was interesting to see this in this 1970s setting the technology involved in the police work as well I think they did a good job of making it seem routine. The fact that they were using for the time rather cutting edge things, and that they were wiring photographs back and forth with other police agencies or other city agencies, they were using computers to check on names, and they had the criminal database. And, and in uh, in Colombo, Colombo having to do anything with a computer, a it happened extremely rarely, and B it was always for the laugh lines of how. Strange and confusing, it seemed, to, to Colombo especially. Here, it was just, well, that's one of the tools we use to get the job done. And I appreciated that. I thought it was a good snapshot of how things were changing.
1: And just in terms of their procedure aspects, uh, I'm thinking of the episode Will, with Bill Bixby in it. They are not walking into a crime scene and immediately bagging fingerprint dust and luminol. They're not putting down... Um, the numbered cards, and taking crime scene photos yet, but when they pick up something that they think that a suspect has picked up, they do so gingerly. They do so carefully, and they reach for areas that are not usually the touch points. When there's a razor, peculiar on a table, on, on on a table in a bathroom, to imply the bad guy shaved away his beard, which is one of our identifying features, it's picked up from the sides of the blade and held out not to disturb the handle. And I was like, oh, just ergonomics say, you don't do that unless you're thinking about it. (laughs) And that was fascinating because it's kind of seeing that be added in. Later shows, uh, CSI, NCIS, who are building themselves off of the Quinn Martin formula to some extent and what it did for these sort of shows are all about those methods now. And you see a little bit of that being put into these Quinn Martin things here, because it's the start of some of those methods being used more.
0: And I bet they had very good consultants on these shows, especially a Quinn Martin production, going all the way back to The Fugitive. So much of of what he produced was in that crime fiction genre, those, those crime dramas, that I'm sure they had good consultants to advise them on the appropriate procedures, the appropriate ways to handle a scene. Not that they didn't deviate from them for the sake of the story. But yeah, it was fun to see all those details.
1: It's hard to get sources on this, but I've read in more than one place now that uh, Malton and Douglas spent time with the SFPD researching this. They spent time learning from them, which, especially based on when you're talking about, that's an interesting thing. Like that's a nerve wracking thing in the reality to do, but it's important to get that right in that sense.
0: That's great. It's 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 great that they learned not just in general appropriate police procedures and, and practices, but they learned it from this department in this location.
1: Yeah. And they're showing it as a job to be respected from the inside first to to be able to serve the outside. And talking
0: about the way this was produced, I can't talk about this series without talking about the music.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: The, uh, the theme for The Streets of San Francisco, composed by Patrick Williams, it is this great, very funky, jazz... I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but it it conveys that same kind of dynamic sense that the the cinematography does, that a lot of the writing does. And again, it it takes that Quinn Martin four act structure and that that very what should be very stable and could be at risk of being very static and very solid. It keeps it moving, and this—that's uh, just great music. There's something about the the beginning of this show with with that music, and the, all the the angled shots and the the weird stripes animating back uh, in and out. It sets you up. Oh, this is going to be cool. This is going to be exciting.
1: There's a lot of times when effects like that get used, and the ubiquity of them as just you know default presets on on like a slide transition nowadays could cheapen things. But there's something about the way that that opening sequence with its diagonal stripes happens that makes you feel, I cannot get mad at this. It's still cool because this thing is obviously what all of those want to be. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how, how is this still catching me on like a visual design aspect of this much later? I liked it.
0: Now you've got me thinking, how can I change all of my presentations so that they begin with the dynamism of, of a Quinn Martin production? I think I'm going to have to go, back, go out and, and restructure all of my PowerPoints, <laughs> see if anybody at work
1: notices. Oh, it's the fact that you'd start playing a Matthew Porter production underneath the title of every presentation you're doing and breaking them into acts <laughs> might get noticed.
0: Tonight's presentation, act one.
1: <laughs> I like it in terms of that structure, like in terms of that keeping momentum, the fact that there's an epilogue to every single one of these is actually important as well. Because after spending an entire episode building tension with the pacing and the music you're describing and everything else, music stings rising before an act and shifting based on what's happening, you can almost feel things change. Everything gets an epilogue that not only is the life of our... Uh, our investigators, and what they were doing before, kind of their life resuming after dealing with the task. But it also has follow-up about the case. You know, if there was a family member, we hear how they're doing. If there was, you know, be that victim, murderer, bystander, or whatever, if there's a person, they're usually not left as a hanging thread in terms of story. If there is a MacGuffin or a pro or an issue then that is discussed they know oh no this group's dealing with that or that will be dealt with it's it's acknowledged if there is major property destruction because something goes severely wrong there is a scene about getting chewed out about the thing <laughs> the fact that things got broken in the environment and we should, like don't let that happen next time and the the proper what do you mean next time kind of thing? This shouldn't have gotten this far.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they use that epilogue in different ways across different episodes. Sometimes it's about resolving something personal that the characters have dealt with. Like there's one episode in which uh, Stone's partner from way back when he was in uniform is shot and Stone has to investigate, or doesn't have to, he insists on being the one to
1: investigate this. And... um, Yeah, that that was the one where he got to do a little bit more protagonisting than he should have, <laughs>
0: right. And we get to see some of that being resolved at the end. We get to see some of those, those personal tensions being resolved. Uh, other other times it is something more about the politics of the job and the administrative parts of the job. Sometimes it's we we in Act four, they ca- caught the bad guy. But we know that the bad guy has an accomplice and they tie up that loose end by letting us see the accomplice getting arrested. And again, Quinn Martin did not invent this four acts plus an epilogue structure. He just refined it and leaned into it.
1: Oh yeah. But for a show like this, being able to have something that is an ease down, that is a resolution to even the the smaller parts of the story means that each one feels complete. There's, there's plenty of shows where after the big mystery happens, it's a drop-off instead of an ease-down, or it just goes into the next episode kind of thing. Weirdly enough, Shack the Night Stalker did not have a lot of ease-down between episodes, <laughs> and that got heavy. If you watched more than one in a row, this one will bring you back down and then let you ramp up again. So each one gets to have the pace all over. You always pull the roller coaster back into the station, even if you're riding it again. And that's that's good for a show like this. It makes it a little more popcorn-y than it... Like, if it wasn't for the length of the episodes, it would be easier to binge in that sense. But I might be revealing a bit of my hand early.
0: And I appreciate the fact that those epilogues were not always used just for a joke. A lot of shows, even crime dramas... That have this structure. They have an epilogue, and the epilogue is almost always a character-oriented joke. And yeah, that can be fun, but it's sometimes there are sometimes I would prefer that they had actually done something to help tie up the story. And Streets of San Francisco is willing to do whatever works for that episode.
1: Yeah, it's (laughs) it's using the time. It's using it's using its structure the same way it uses its guest stars well and allowing it to be dynamic in the way it can do its best for whatever the story they're telling that episode needs
0: well i think you started to allude to it there a moment ago yeah but is it time to start asking our final questions about the streets of san francisco i think so
1: so it is a tv show binge or no binge after after spending an entire episode praising it, saying how it did everything so right, saying no binge is gonna sound weird. So you're saying no binge? I am. And part of it is because this show is longer in its episodes than I expected. Not lengthwise, but the fact that it is that little roller coaster ride every time. My, my watching mind, my, my, my watching a TV show mentality was more worn down after an episode of this than it is for a lot of other shows. I don't know if I could binge a lot of this in a row. It just got
0: to me. You know, that's a, a good point. I, I think this is extremely watchable. My vote would be binge, but I absolutely have to acknowledge that I think this is very watchable, but it is not comfort viewing. No. This is not The Rockford Files. I would suggest that after you've finished binging The Rockford Files, yeah, go ahead and binge The Streets of San Francisco. But don't expect them to be the same kind of experience, because this is more emotional, more dramatic, there's more action. And and you're not always left with a good feeling at the end. It's like, you know, we did our jobs, we caught the bad guy, but that doesn't mean that everything's nice and happy. And, you know, too much of that, you're right, that gets a bit heavy. I still think it's worth watching. I would still say go ahead and, and binge it. And maybe it, it's binge as in watch one episode a night or watch one episode a week. But but I think it is worth queuing up and watching. And we jumped around a bit. And I don't think that damaged the experience very much. But I still think there probably is some benefit to watching it beginning to end Even if you're not following overall character arcs, from the bits that we did watch, I bet you would see the show itself in terms of its production quality, in terms of what it's doing, in terms of the the choices that are made about how it's shot and how it's directed. You're going to see that develop over time, and that's that's one of the interesting things about watching a long-running series all at once.
1: Yeah, we only watched through season three, and I'd be interested to see what the later seasons look like to some extent because that it it didn't last forever. It didn't keep going very long. There were some network issues in that as well, of course, but it'd be interesting to see how it changed over time. So, I'm saying no binge, but I'm not saying don't watch. I'm just giving using this as a chance to give that warning. And and you're right that it it did change over time.
0: And one very particular way that it changed over time. Oh is in its I think it's final season. Michael Douglas left the series. What? And he was replaced by Richard Hatch. Okay. Richard Hatch is probably better known to my generation from another TV series that we have not yet watched. Oh. And we'll probably have to get around to. A TV series called Battlestar Galactica. Oh, but before Battlestar Galactica, he replaced Michael Douglas's character with a new character as the young detective working with Mike Stone.
1: Oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I feel like I've just been made aware of a looming thing coming over the horizon for me at some point. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah,
0: and this may also require a we kept watching at some point to watch some more of the streets of San Francisco, but also to watch some of the later seizo- seasons.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <sighs> so our second question is revive,
1: reboot, or rest in peace. Huh. Well, Revive and Reboot are a little weird, because I, right now, because I guess if you were to say Revive, you'd be doing a New Streets of San Francisco, set in San Francisco, set at this department with new characters. And if you were to say Reboot, I guess you're putting versions of these characters in another time period in san francisco but at that point are they the same people or are you just kind of it feels like we're making the same show there it's just whether or not you name the characters the same
0: well i can think of ways that they could be different a reboot could be you're right an, uh, could be another time frame it could be a detective named mike stone and his young partner steven keller in the year 2022 in san francisco So there are a lot of ways you could do a reboot. A revival, though.
1: Oh. Oh, I see what you're doing. You could do
0: a revival as a period piece. You could do a revival set in the 1980s. When Mike Stone, not played by Carl Malden, unfortunately, is now more in the administrative ranks of the police department. And we're following two other detectives on the streets of San Francisco. You could do a revival of The Streets of San Francisco set before the 1970s. You could do something set in the 1960s, in the early 60s, when, when, uh, or maybe when uh, when Mike Stone was still in uniform. Oh. What you could do with that setting and these
1: characters. Oh, yeah. I, I'm also just thinking of the fact that I knew Michael Douglas as him, Ant-Man. <laughs> you could do a version where he is now, you know, head of the department years later, maybe. I don't know, but there's something like having him show up could be interesting.
0: Ant-Man was set in San Francisco, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I believe it was.
0: <laughs> you could have a reboot or a revival of the streets of San Francisco that does not include the character of Steve Keller but does have them meet Hank Pym.
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. Streets of San Francisco in the Marvel (laughs) Cinematic Universe. Yeah.
0: All we have to do is wait for Disney to buy uh, Paramount, uh, as they probably
1: will when they finish buying everything else. Uh, The mouse consumes all. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, The fact that apparently this show... Okay, now you've got me on a weird thing. The fact that apparently this show's final seasons had trouble because it was changed time slots and was directly competing with another Quinn Martin production. Now you've got me thinking of the Quinn Martin verse of how you can possibly <laughs> stitch all Quinn Martin productions into the same world. And it probably would just be fine because they take place in individual cities and don't interact.
0: <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody gets a photograph wired from another city and that's, that's
1: it. as far as it gets. Exactly. <laughs> Cinematic Universe with absolutely no giant crossover planned. Well, even though I've come up with ways
0: in which you could make reboots or revivals of the streets of San Francisco, my verdict on this is is rest in peace. Yeah, because it is such a great time capsule of when it was made. It is it is styled for that time. And as we've said about some other things. It has influenced many TV series that came after as, as have the Quinn Martin verse in general and so many Quinn Martin productions. It has had its influence. It has had its, its spiritual successors. I don't see the need for an explicit revival or reboot of the streets of San Francisco. I'd like to watch it. I'm glad we've got more of it to watch, but, uh, but I don't need to know that more is being made.
1: Oh yeah. Um, I'm with you. This is, this is a rest in peace. And there's definitely something about this styling, this format, this formula that is beautiful. Actually, it's something I knew before we watched this.
0: It seemed kind of familiar when we started watching The Streets of San Francisco.
1: Oh, absolutely. It, it seemed very familiar to something I know. Next episode, I'm on it. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with
0: another podcast episode. And thank you very much for downloading this one. We really appreciate it. Where can they find you online, Dad? Well, you can find me most places as Porter. So you can go to ByMatthewPorter.com, or you can find me on Twitter uh, as ByMatthewPorter. And Ian, where can people find you?
1: I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting, on Twitch as live, and at ItemCrafting.com.
0: And you can always find the podcast on Twitter at immpcast, or you can find us at immproject.com, and that's where you'll find links to all of our past episodes, including that Colombo episode you you mentioned. I think that's our most popular episode ever. I believe so. And you'll also find a link to our contact page. We'd love to hear from you there. A link to our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, A link to our Patreon. Thank you very much for anybody who's able to support us there. And you'll also find a link to our shop on that uh, immproject.com. And uh, last episode, I highlighted a couple of the designs that we have on that shop. The, uh, the IMMP logo design and the Who Cares About phobos design, going back to our Space 1999 episode. We also have a couple of other designs on the shop.
1: The oh, spa- we, well, we've got the, the classic uh, Village Kosho Tournament shirt.
0: Right. If you're a fan of, of that, that wild, surreal TV show, The Prisoner, we've got shirts dedicated to the favorite sport of Weird ex spies. We've got a couple of different Kosho designs. We've got a design from the Village Kosho Tournament, the Intramural Tournament, nineteen sixty seven. And if you're not quite as retro, if you're more of an 80s, you're more of a dynamic kind of person, we have the extreme kosho design.
1: Oh, yeah. I was pulling off of so many, like, Olympic logo kind of stylings doing that, but I I still love that one. So whether you like the,
0: the classic 67 tournament design or the extreme kosho design, if you're a fan of The Prisoner, uh, yeah, take a look. You can get that on t-shirts, coffee mugs, lots of things. But... But most importantly, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please tell your friends about it or give us a rating. And also, please come back in a couple of weeks and we'll have more tales of old media. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.